serving up a side of discourse to go with your meal. I'm Pauline, I'm using they them pronouns, and with me is... Christina, and I use she, her pronouns. Yay! Uh, so this week we wanted to talk about um, the Madron line. It is, it has been blowing up on the internet. Um, if you haven't heard about it, I'll just briefly say that it was basically three white women who wanted to take Madron and kind of reformat it for the millennial generation. Um, and we, we do want to talk about it because it was blowing up on the internet, but um, Christina is going to talk a little bit about the food culture connection. Yeah, because uh, we were thinking about, you know, of course, this was huge on Twitter, huge on Instagram, and a lot of people have written a lot of think pieces on it. And one of the elements that we actually found was a little bit missing was actually Mahjong culture is food culture, especially if you're Cantonese. Um, Mahjong is just something that constantly also accompanied, um, is also accompanied by food. And there's just a lot more to Mahjong than just the game itself. And so we wanted to take some time to sort of clarify that or bring that point up today. Like the timeline of events with the Mahjong line is that people basically found out that it existed. Um, and then we're saying, you know, this is really weird. Like, why are your mahjong sets so incredibly expensive when they're basically like, they seem to, they look like devoid of any connections to what we know as like traditional mahjong. And like, I do want to be clear that I think that like, if you do get a quality mahjong set, like you should be paying for it because you should be paying for that labor. But um, when I look at their sets, they don't look like anything I recognize and I totally grew up playing Mahjong like on a computer. <laughs> um, and so I don't have as much of like a cultural connection with this just because I'm not Chinese and I didn't really grow up with it. But, um, you know, even from my perspective, uh, it's it just, it seems really weird. And I definitely see it as like these women imposing their culture and what they wanted to appropriate from Chinese culture um, for their own amusement and entertainment and that I'm just not a huge fan of at all. Yeah I think what I took really a lot of issue with was how they framed the whole thing like they were trying to say that you know basically this is not your grandma's mahjong like that was literally a tagline or one of the slogans that was being used in their marketing material and then they it, everything that they put out just came across as if like, oh, this is a revamp because the previous the traditional kind was just boring and ugly. And this is why we're bringing this new aesthetic, you know, um, approach to Mahjong. And um, we've got four different styles and it's got these cool colors and it's like $400 now. Thank you very much. And it was just a complete like classic textbook, um, white appropriation, um, it constantly evoking this idea that like everything that's traditional and Chinese was not cool enough and not American enough and basically not white enough. And so it, it definitely um, rang a lot of alarm bells when I saw it. And obviously that happened for a lot of people on the internet too. Yeah. And 
their response to it was also really terrible. Like they immediately disabled all the comments on their Instagram. They didn't seem to be taking any feedback at all. Um, they eventually posted an apology um, that like very clearly stated, like we love American Mahjong, <laughs> which carries a rich history here in the United States. Um, they don't really talk about um, like the Chinese culture connection. You know, they say we recognize our failure to pray to pay proper homage to the game's Chinese heritage. They're really positioning like Mahjong right now as being like really out of touch without understanding that there are like other millennials <laughs> who play like Mahjong the way that it has been played for a very long time. Um, you know, media wise, it was this like pivotal scene in Crazy Rich Asians. It's not it's not out of touch. And it's also not like deeply uncool to be in touch with your heritage and your culture. Like those are amazing things. And I really feel like they wanted to come in and just like take what they wanted. Like there's so many other board games to play. Like white mm -hmm. people are so into board games. Like I love board games too, but like there's like literally so many other things to do. And I don't know why they had to come from much home. You know, um, I just I feel like they could have approached it in such different ways. Like, first of all, just having the humility um, to say that, hey, like this is originally a Chinese game there. It's a very vibrant Chinese culture surrounds this game. And like we've done our due diligence in our research and actually like figured out that like there is a much larger culture and history attached to it um, but then for them in their apology to double down and say that this is American but by saying that it's American and like saying that that is somehow different and therefore they have more claim to it than like the Chinese traditional mahjong is to say that Chinese people are not American and obviously that's not true like there's Chinese Americans like their apology made me even more pissed off because I was like great there you go again reinscribing whiteness into Americanness like Amer American is a nationality not an ethnicity not a race like I don't know how how to drill this idea into people's skulls but like this needs to happen because they're constantly perpetuating racism this way, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's it's just really infuriating. And like, not only did they not do this due, due diligence, but they keep showing their ass <laughs> and keep like showing why they're like these clueless, like racist white women, you know? And it's just, this ain't it. Like you, you don't have to do it this way, you know? And I feel like whenever it comes to discussions of cultural appropriation, it's almost as if anybody who makes any sort of, um, you know, uh, critique or any sort of like backlash towards this is like somehow by default, what you're then proposing or what you're trying to like put forward is this idea of the world where like there is no like cultural influence or cultural exchange or like cultural appreciation if you wanna use that term, right? But obviously that's not like what people are going for. Like the world is always going to be influencing each other. We're constantly in dialogue and engagement with each other, people who are not like us, like cultural influence happens, you know, cultural adaptation happens, but this is not how you do it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, this ain't it. Like, because yeah. <laughs> I do want to mention, um, like, someone was digging into the history of like Jewish people playing like Madrong in the U.S. and like there is a you know really beautiful vibrant history there, um, but 
there are just repeated mentions of like American Mahjong, American Mahjong. It's like, I don't, you know, you obviously come from a world where like American means white and white means American. Um, I mean, we're recording this after a like white supremacy coup mm-hmm. in the US and we're like, really? Like, this is the hill you want to die on? Like your Mahjong? <laughs> <laughs> we literally have like white supremacists like in the government, like, okay, cool. This is already being done. Like you didn't have to come and put your cultural footprint on this and like kind of assert yourself in this space. It was not necessary. And potentially this could have been like a space of learning for them, but they really didn't take it that way. And I don't know, they're just here to, in my opinion, like to profit Mm -hmm. off of something from somebody else's culture. So yeah, yeah, it's not appreciated and we don't like it. Yeah. And, and uh, want to shout out um, <laughs> I want to shout out the um, writer Jeanette N, um, on Twitter who posted this incredible like mega thread of um, sort of different images and historical facts about Mahjong um, and especially the Chinese and Jewish connection with Mahjong. Um, it's actually really beautiful. Like they, we'll, we'll link this in the blog too, but um, there were these like menorah sets that were like styled with mahjong pieces and they were so cool and it's like this is the cultural exchange that we appreciate you know what i mean and like it's not the like let's brand it package it and like literally whitewash everything about like its origins um like if you're really going to be stepping into a different culture a culture that's not yours and say that like you're going to be literally making a whole company out of it and profiting from it then like do your homework, study up your history, be humble, like pay homage and like direct people to like the community and like the people who are who are more closely affiliated with that thing that you're profiting off of. Eat better yet, like give some, give, share your profits, you know, with those communities, like actually give back, address racism and like hierarchies of power here, you know, like there's so many ways in which you can do it and be like a decent human being. For a lot of people, this is like still shocking for them that like, you know, you need to actually do your work when you step out of your lane. I think too, what happens with white people is that like they perceive Asians as these like safe people of color or whatever yeah. fucking like anti-black like nonsense I've heard from white people because they assumed that for some reason I was like a safe person to talk to and like me immediately being like what the fuck are you talking about like that's so racist and they're like oh and like you just see like them in their head they're like okay like I'm going to continue thinking this I, I just can't tell it to you it, it's so it's so rude and so mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder with like Asian cultural appropriation if people kind of perceive us as like silent or complicit or just Mm -hmm. something else where they they're like oh it's like not as bad yeah Uh, and I'm here to let you know by yelling about this on our podcast that like it is just as bad and your racism and xenophobia and cultural appropriation are not what we wanted I feel like I need to like call out the fact though it's like I've also been observing this whole debate play out in pretty toxic places like subtle Asian traits, um, which if you don't know why it's toxic, um, we can talk about that another time. There are definitely a lot of people who are like, oh, well, you know, by us or by some of us um, 
critiquing this whole mahjong line thing like a they don't think there's a problem with it b they're like oh well you know who's not threatened by any of this discourse well it's you know the grandmas in china who are playing mahjong like they're they don't think that their culture is going to be taken over well newsflash actually like white supremacy is global and the free market is built for white supremacy so Let's talk about that, like, you know, a little bit down the line. And then the second thing is by, by doing this, by raising this critique, you're being racist towards white people. Like, can we not have this debate over and over? Can, how do we really get people to understand that racism is systemic? It's not just like how you feel, act, or like what you say to another person. There are literally structures of society, of state, of government, of nationality, like all of these things foster white supremacy around the world. And even if like it's in China, you're not exempt from that because who are they like, who are the models they find marketing products to Chinese people? If, like I've been in remote villages in Tibet and it was like a blonde hair, blue eyed white woman. Don't tell me that white supremacy is not global. It really is. It just manifests itself in different ways. And for people to be on these sites pretending as if that this whole mahjong thing doesn't actually affect people is a really myopic view. One of the things that makes mahjong really special and a huge part of the larger cultural fabric, especially for Chinese people, is that it's really not just about the mahjong the game itself, but of course it's like communal. There's four players. Um, there's people who are sitting around also observing the game and there's always tea there's always food there's always some sort of drinks and it's just something that you can do to pass time um, when the family or like different communities of people gather together I can't tell you how many times I've like peered into restaurants in between breaks like in China and there's just you know, the restaurant staff sitting there playing mahjong. Or in Hong Kong, like something that's really special is this thing called jerko, which is where you can, it's like a mahjong and dinner like set, like a combo kind of thing that you can do. It's like you rent a private room, you play a game of mahjong, and then you can also have a full like multi-course meal. So um, after you've played like four rounds, you can sit down for the meal, everything's ready. It's like a set menu, eat your dinner and then continue to play like through the night until the place closes. How that is interwoven into the larger fabric of like Cantonese culture, Sichuanese culture, um, the broader like Chinese culture, both in the mainland and also abroad. Those are things that cannot be captured by this company and is certainly not celebrated and is also just like, not even regarded as anything to be of worth or special just by the way that they've phrased what they stand for and it's just so deeply insulting uh, we also wanted to link an article in the show notes from mike someone in our community jason chu did comment on this article and i think it was um, just a really good summary about how it is the latest and long history of asian erasure one final thing, though, about the Mike article, there is a slight correction that I want to make. There's a point where they make about how with the Mahjong line, um, they change one of the tiles like of the letter or the Chinese character for four into the character for mouth. And it's actually like that isn't like 
valid because they actually did keep the characters that are inside of the mouth character that makes it a four but it's just done poorly so it looks like it's just the character for mouth so i was reading that like the um the like not the brushwork because obviously like someone did like paint it by hand but like the way that the lettering is done is like also incorrect too yeah yeah um yeah moving on to local seattle food news what is going on yeah, let's start with Orange King. Sad news about Orange King. Um, they've been in the university district for 45 years and they've uh, fallen to um, the pandemic and um, they have had to close and they left just the saddest, sweetest note um, to their loyal customers. Um, they like issued an apology for not being able to share love through their food any longer on the Av. Um, and they just wanted to thank everybody for their great support and love for the past decades. But yeah, they were run by a really sweet older Korean couple. And we just wanted to shout them out and say thank you for everything that they've done. Also just like lament with what's happening in the university district. Yeah, a lot of places have shut down and it's it's kind of a dead zone right now and it's really sad more sad news I guess I, I think I'm just like taking over all the sad news today um they there was a big fire that happened at in Lake City and the strip mall that Aloha Ramen is part of um just burnt down and um, a lot of small businesses were there um including Aloha Ramen um but it seems like there's a lot of um sadness in particular for Aloha Ramen for where a lot of people were introduced to like ramen and it was a mom and pop shop. It was just a really sweet place. Um, and the owners of the place um, started a GoFundMe, but specifically for their employees. Um, and we will link that to the blog post because they're still short of their goal. I didn't really grow up eating ramen in restaurants because Korean people love like instant ramen. And so I was just used to eating a lot of ramen at home. <laughs> um, but then when I moved to Seattle, I think Aloha Ramen was one of the first places that I went to. Um, and they had like Korean flavors. Like I think they had like thok in there and like corn and I don't know, things that seem just like more Korean. So yeah, I think it's, it's run by a, a Korean family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, you know, I'm like looking at the menu, I'm like kimchi, thok, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, some sad news, uh, but we also wanted to shout out to other restaurants. One is in Chinatown, in Japantown, actually, um, Maneki. You know, it is legendary. <laughs> they specialize in kind of like home-cooked Japanese food. Um, we recently got food from there. I um, got tired of ordering from some of the same places through pandemic. And I got the portobello mushroom and uh, katsu, and it was so good. I like almost cried. <laughs> um, so I need to learn how to make that myself. Um, and I'm I'm glad to hear that they're doing well and they're still running. Yeah, um, they were so sweet too because they like learned that you were vegan, and then like included as a side of edamame, um, just cause and texted also to let me know um, that they included that in for you. So that was really sweet. Um, and then uh, Ramen Dango, there's one in Seattle and Capitol Hill. They just have so many vegan options. Like basically everything on their menu has a vegan component. So like all of their ramen flavors, and I think they just added like a curry tonkatsu flavor. Um, they have gyoza, they have like rice bowls. It's delicious, uh, super customizable. So definitely my ramen recommendation of the moment. Um, as we wait for Aloha Ramen to potentially come back someday. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. Final two shout outs is um, Yanti in the U District is a relatively new boba place that has somewhat reopened. I think they tried to launch earlier in 2020 and it didn't really work out, but they're fully in operation now. And I really like their drinks, but everything has cheese foam on it, unless it's like one of their seasonal specials. So if cheese foam is not really your thing, if thick cream is not your thing, if you're vegan, probably not the friendliest boba spot for you. Um, But they have some pretty interesting, you know, fruit choices. It seems like a lot of it is like fresh fruit and really interesting combos for things. So check it out. And um, one of the legendary um, Caribbean sandwich places or Cuban sandwich places um, is back. So Bien is has reopened in mid-December. So in case you missed that news, um, you can head on over to Ballard and pick up one of their amazing sandwiches. Thanks for joining us as we come on Be sure to check out the links on our blog post and let us know if there is anything spicy happening that you want to hear us talk about. Always looking for new ideas. Anything else you want to say? Well, yeah, and we're always looking for things to yell about. <laughs> <laughs> Just joint screaming. Yeah. Just, Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This podcast is generously hosted by Diverging Mag, and our audio editor is Thomas Yang. Our music is by Chucky Kim, and the podcast artwork is created by Kelly Camarita Martel. For more premium snack content, you can follow us on Instagram at stack underscore snack, and you can also find us on Twitter at the same handle. Feel free to slide into our DMs with snack recommendations, feedback, and stories of your own. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay hungry, stay thirsty, and stay safe.